0: This brings us to lesson nine, who confused Christians? Who confused the Christian world? When we look around the the Christian world today, do we see confusion in the world? And do we see confusion in the churches today? I mean, we see see church splits taking place all over the place. For the last 2,000 years, we've seen divided face of the church, of the believers in Christ, some people claiming one thing about Christ and His teachings, others claiming something different about Christ and His teachings. There's a lot of division, and if you think about Jesus and His prayer for His people, for His church, He was praying that they would be united, not just on a surface level in John 17, but praying for genuine unity of faith, unity of belief, unity of purpose. And I believe that when we seek Jesus, we come more and more into that unity. Don't we? When we seek to be more like Him and to follow what He says in His Word and to just allow God and His Word to change us, to transform us, to be willing to say, All right, Lord, maybe I don't understand it all right, but Your Word has the truth for me. God is going to help us to understand the truth is God's Word. Jesus says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. So this is what we need, the sanctifying power of God in our lives, transforming us through His Word. I'd like to just have one more word of prayer as we open up the study tonight. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your blessings here this evening. We know that you have a great blessing in store for us as we open up the scriptures. And we just pray that your spirit will instruct us and teach us tonight from your word lord that you'd open up our hearts and minds to understand the words of life and that we will be forever changed by the biblical truths that we uncover here tonight we thank you lord for your heavenly blessing in this and we pray in jesus name amen so lesson nine who confused christians this is the first part lesson 10 will be the second part we are looking at the confusion that has entered into the churches. We don't see it coming from Jesus, but the Bible tells us who is the author of confusion. Maybe you can tell me the answer. Who is who's that? Who is the author of confusion? Satan. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 14.33 that God is not the author of confusion. And when we look at the three angels' messages, the first angel presents a package of truth, God's truth. The second angel presents Babylon which is fallen. Now this is spiritual end time Babylon, obviously not the ancient city of Babylon which was already broken up from many years ago and was prophesied would never be rebuilt again. The Bible prophets clearly tell us that the ancient city of Babylon is not a player in last day events. but. Babylon in the New Testament, especially in Revelation, is referring to a last day system. The word harks from the ancient tower of Babel, which meant confusion, where the languages were confused and it sounded like Babel. So we've been looking at that in some of our previous lessons, we will yet explore it even more so in future lessons, looking more specifically at the prophecies in Revelation concerning the system of fallen Babylon. But for now, we must take the word and understand that it means confusion. And we definitely see that in the world and the church today. Now, thankfully, God is able to reveal his plans to us before they happen, but also the devil's plans. Is God able to reveal to us what the devil's up to? Most definitely. God knows beforehand what will happen, and he reveals that to us in prophecy. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 9 and 10 tell us a little bit more about that. So let's open up our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 46 verses 9 and 10. And what does the Bible say here? You want to read that for us?
1: Remember the former thing says of unto ago, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make no... The end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please.
0: Alright, thank you very much. So, in this verse, Isaiah says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God. Now, obviously, the voice that Isaiah is speaking in here is not his own perspective, is it? He is writing words from the Lord. Words from God. And so, this is what God says to us. He says that he is God. He says, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from when? From the beginning. So from the very beginning, God already knows the end. Praise God. God doesn't guess about the future. He knows the future. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows the future. And it says here, from ancient times, the things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and i will do all my pleasure god's counsel is 100 percent sure 100 percent certain it will stand it will happen and this is important to keep in mind because this is how god declares that he is god and that there is nobody like him because nobody knows the truth about the future like god does We can have some predictive elements, we can work towards certain goals, but we can't tell you for sure what's going to happen tomorrow. We can think and maybe determine that rain is gonna come, but we don't know all the facts. And people have been getting, of course, better and better at that. But much of life and much of the future, we simply cannot determine. But God, what He determines will always stand. It will never fail. God's truth is always the truth so let's go on over to daniel chapter 7. we're looking at a very important prophetic foundation here tonight in daniel chapter 7. this prophetic foundation is very key and very pivotal to understanding the message of the three angels because if we somehow miss the foundation of these beast powers described in daniel 7 then we will misunderstand the final conflict Earth's final conflict in Revelation chapter 13 regarding the beast and his mark, which are very, very integral elements to the three angels' messages which prepare the people of the world for the coming of Jesus. Very, very important that we understand the prophetic powers mentioned in Daniel 7 because it leads us into Revelation's final message. So we have in this chapter, An event taking place, a vision that was being revealed to Daniel in the first year of Belshazzar, Belshazzar, okay? The first year of Belshazzar. This was the great, not great, but I would say grandson, it was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so we're looking at Belshazzar. He was the last person in power. He was a co-regent or co-ruler. His father was Nabonidus. And he was, uh, you know, they were both rulers in Babylon at the time when it fell. But this was a little bit before that. The first year of Belshazzar was 555 B.C. when Daniel received the vision. So let's read verses 1, 1, 2, and 3 in Daniel 7. Do you want to read that for us? In the first year of
1: Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed he wrote down the substance of his dream. daniel said in my vision at night i looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea four great beasts each different from the others came out of the sea
0: all right thank you very much So, we have uh, Daniel telling how he summarizes the vision that was given to him while he was on his bed. We already know that it was the first year of Belshazzar there in Babylon. And in Daniel uh, 7 verse 2, it says Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night and behold the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. The symbol of the great sea is a very important one that we'll look at in more detail when we get into Revelation. The first beast in Revelation 13 rises up from the sea, whereas the second rises from the earth. So there is a distinction that's important to make. All four of these kingdoms or beasts, we'll, we'll look at that here in just a minute to see for sure what these are. But all four of these beasts here are coming up from the sea. So the symbol of the sea is very important. And Revelation 17 and verse 15 tells us what the waters represent this chapter itself describes us what, uh, to us what the beasts represent. So, let's take a look at the waters first in Revelation 17 and verse 15, and just keep your finger here in Daniel because we're going to come right back to it. But Revelation 17 and verse 15, and as we study, we're following a very important rule here in the study of the Bible, and in the study of Bible prophecy, and that is to let the Bible interpret itself to let the Bible explain its own symbols. We do not want to guess about the prophecies of God's Word. We do not want to make up our own interpretations, but we want to let God speak to us and interpret His Word for us. So, we're going to read it from the Bible. Revelation 17 verse 15, and what does that say for us?
1: And He saith unto me the waters which thou sawest, where the poor are peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and
0: tongues. Thank you very much. So here the Bible tells us that, that where you see this whore sitting, now that's a whole study on, on Babylon and end times, that will be a future study in detail, but it says that the whore sits upon the waters. And the waters represent what? They represent peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues or languages. So you have a lot of different languages, a lot of different peoples, uh, different nations, which are all together. Kind of, uh, you know, they're different, but they're they're underneath the power of this particular power. So the whore in Revelation, Babylon, Babylon the Great, she's called. She sits upon the waters. The waters are are definitely an important symbol to understand. Seas is essentially the same thing. That's what we find out. In, in Revelation 13 that the first beast upon which the woman rides comes up from the sea. So when you see the sea and the waters, you're looking at the same descriptive work. It's the same basic thing. So now, when we go back to Daniel chapter 5 and we look at these beast powers arising out of the sea, then we are seeing them come up from many peoples and nations and languages. Now the four winds striving upon the sea obviously cause a lot of turbulence in the sea. Winds cause waves in the sea. Winds cause a lot of a lot of strife. So what happens is there's a lot of strife and commotions among the peoples and through this strife these nations or these beasts rise to power. Now. I've jumped ahead of our reading there a little bit, but let's go let the Bible interpret the symbols for us, okay? So Daniel 7 and verse 17. Let's read it together. I'll read it here. It says, These great beasts, which are four, are for what? Daniel 7, 17. Alright, four kingdoms. If you're reading from the King James Version, it says four kings, but obviously they have a kingdom. Because if you're a king, you must have a kingdom. (laughs) And so we have this same basic word. Yes, the modern translations are very clear about that, uh, that these are kingdoms. And we have another reference to it that in the King James is also very clear. And that's in verse 23 of Daniel seven, where it says, thus he said to me, or thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth, what? Kingdom. Kingdom upon earth. Okay. So the fourth beast will be the fourth kingdom. That is telling us that the beasts are kingdoms. Verse 17 clarified that. And then verse 18 also tells us about another kingdom. And it says the saints of the most high shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So ultimately, who will reign for eternity in this? And that was Daniel seven eighteen I just read. The, the kingdom that lasts forever is the kingdom of the Lord. The kingdom of God, that is the kingdom that will last forever. The earthly kingdoms have their day, they have their time, but they will all pass off the scene and God's kingdom will rule for eternity. This is what the scripture is telling us here in prophecy. So very clearly all of the beasts here represent kingdoms. Now that's important when you get into Revelation, you start looking at the mark of the beast. You have to realize that the beast is a kingdom. Now, we'd have to study it to find out specifically which kingdom is it, but the beast is representing a kingdom. So the mark of the beast is the mark of a particular kingdom. We'll have to get into that later in Revelation. But we're just letting the Bible define its own symbols. The Bible is setting this up for us, to show us these are major political powers, world powers, and they start from Daniel's day and Daniel's time. I'm going to read for us verse 4 of Daniel 7 and this is what it says. The first was like a lion and had eagles wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. So verse four is describing beast number one. Beast number one is a lion with eagle's wings. Now, some people have done this. They will take these symbols and say, well, look, we have these uh, kingdoms in the world today. Like for example, Russia's got a bear and England's got a lion as their, their you know, mascot. And some people will say, well, these, these symbols an eagle for America. You know, some people will say, oh, this is representing, you know, these modern nations. The problem with that is that we're looking at this not from today's perspective, although we have a perspective from today, um, but we're looking at it from ancient times, from the days of Babylon moving forward, and these symbols were used in ancient nations, not just in modern nations. So we have to look, you know, consider it in its biblical, historical context. Biblical, historical, grammatical context. So, Daniel 7 and, again we're looking at verse 4, the lion with eagle's wings. Now, how does the Bible describe the lion with eagle's wings? Jeremiah 4 and verse 7 and verse 13 actually describe it. Jeremiah was a prophet, that Daniel studied. He was a prophet that basically witnessed the captivity. They, they lived in the same time period. Uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, chapter four and verse seven, Jeremiah four and verse seven, the writings of Jeremiah came into the captivity from out of the Holy Land of Israel when it was overtaken by the Babylonians and Uh, The Jews in captivity in Babylon had copies of the book of Jeremiah. Daniel was a student of prophecy, and he studied diligently the prophecies of Jeremiah, as you can see in some of the chapters of Daniel, such as Daniel chapter 9. It tells us he was a diligent student. Daniel was a diligent student of prophecy. Okay, Jeremiah 4 and verse 7. And what does it say here? The what? A lion is coming out of of the thicket, right? (laughs) Okay, so the lion has come up from his thicket and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. Who was it that was coming to destroy the nation of Israel back in the days of Jeremiah? Well, it was Babylon. Babylon was the nation that that overcame the Jewish nation and took them into captivity as well as all the surrounding nations. This was the the superpower of its day, ancient Babylon. They came and conquered all of these kingdoms around the the Middle East there. They were the superpower of their day. And not even Egypt could stand against them. So we have Jeremiah chapter four and verse seven telling us that, that the lion is coming up from his thicket, the destroyer of the Gentiles. So the Bible actually gives us a reference to who this is. Now, we'd also want to look at verse 13 for a minute in Jeremiah 4, where it says these words, Behold, he shall come up as clouds, and his chariots shall be as a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than what? Eagles. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe unto us, for we are spoiled. So when Babylon comes up as a lion, He comes up, as with eagle's wings, (laughs) swifter than eagles on their wings. So the wings denote speed and grace of these powers very quick. Now we're going to see that wings play a part in some of the other beast powers, but most clearly Babylon was described as a lion with eagle's wings. And so that is the first nation. Now, this was also a popular symbol in Babylon. Daniel would have clearly known that. Daniel was living in Babylon at this time in history. And the gates, the famous Ishtar gates in Babylon, were covered with these pictures of lions with wings on them. So it was actually a common symbol in ancient Babylon. Daniel clearly was aware of those things. So we we know without any doubt Who this power is and we're going to see as we study through that the vision of daniel 7 is also running parallel to the other prophetic timelines mentioned in the book of daniel as we find for example in daniel chapter 2 we find these nations four major superpowers and then a divided kingdom with ten toes in daniel chapter 2 we're going to see how this actually parallels but it expands on it and gives us more information. Okay. So verse 5. Yeah, Daniel 7 and verse and
1: there 5. Before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was to get up and eat your fill of flesh.
0: Okay. So verse 5 of Daniel 7, and it tells us here that another beast comes up. It's another beast. It's, it's a second beast. It's like a what kind of animal? Bear. A bear. And it raises itself up on one side, has three ribs in its mouth between his teeth, and they said unto it, arise and devour much flesh. If a beast representing a kingdom is going to devour another beast and chew up their flesh, well, that's one kingdom. Conquering another kingdom, it's just being described here as ferocious beasts or ferocious animals, but these are actually kingdoms going to war. These are kingdoms fighting. so you have you have Babylon, the lion with eagle's wings, and by the way, those wings do get plucked off, which means that Babylon gets weak. he begins to stand like a man. Babylon gets humbled, and that's exactly what happened as you see after Nebuchadnezzar uh, and and he you know kind of passed off the scene. Babylon continued to get weaker. And so that actually paved the way for this second beast, the bear, to come up. Now, the bear has specifically three ribs in its mouth. And you might ask the question, well, who conquered Babylon? Well, we're in in luck because the Bible tells us who conquered Babylon and the history books of the world even have it documented. It's very well documented who came next. The next power that arose up after Babylon was... Medo-Persia. Yes, Medo-Persia. Babylon was from 605 to 539 BC. And we have Persia, Medo-Persia from 539 to 331 BC. So this was the second power, beast power, to rise up and dominate the world and cover the area or territory of God's people. Very, very important to, to keep in mind. And so, so he stands up on one side, the bear does, which tells us that one side's more powerful than the other. If you're leaning to one side, then you're obviously putting more to one side than the other side. And this is true of what took place in the Medo-Persian Empire. It was the, the Persians that became the stronger side. Although the Medes kind of moved in first, but the Persians just became the stronger side of this power. Now the fact that it has three ribs in its mouth is significant. The number three there is given for a reason. If it was more than three, it would say so. If it was less than three, it would say so. But the Bible distinguishes that there were three ribs in its mouth. So, if it's going to arise and devour much flesh, that means it will conquer other kingdoms and it has three ribs, denoting three specific kingdoms. So what kingdoms were those? Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. Those three kingdoms were conquered by the Medes and the Persians, especially the Persian Empire as they continued on as the stronger side of this particular power. So the Bible is really laying out in perfect detail for us who was going to come next. Now it's interesting for us to note that this vision was given to Daniel in the first year of Belshazzar. That was the year 555 BC, before this stuff happened. Because it was later, in 539, that Babylon fell to the Persians, the Medes and the Persians. And the entire story of their fall was prophesied multiple places. 150 years earlier, God gave a vision to uh, to His people, to His prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 45 tells us about uh, this prophecy of how Babylon would fall. And how God would use Cyrus, who was the leader of the Persians, and God surnamed him. He named him before he was even born by 150 years. Pretty amazing. And so we have have all of this prophetic information and historical information on exactly what happened when Babylon fell. Even how Cyrus drained the riverbed underneath the city of Babylon. He marched some of his men through the riverbed. They came into the city at night. Well, Belshazzar was having a a feast, a party in there and you may remember the story from Daniel 5, but there was handwriting on the wall and God said that your kingdom is weighed in the balances and found wanting because Belshazzar was denying the Creator God and even feasting using the cups from God's temple. From the treasury that they had taken this treasure from israel and they were using it to celebrate this feast and he was drinking before a thousand of his lords uh, just getting himself crazy while an army was outside the walls of babylon and they thought no one's going to come in and get us well guess what god said it's over it's done and they're coming in and he says that he even prophesied the gates will be left open isaiah 45 150 years earlier prophesied that the gates would be left open That is, those gates, when you come up through the riverbed, there were some inside gates that were left open so the soldiers could easily come in through the riverbed where the water's low. And they were able to open up the rest of the gates and conquer Babylon in a night. The city fell. And so, pretty amazing how we have this story. Also, there's a historical artifact, the Cyrus Cylinder, which today is in the British Museum in London. And on the Cyrus Cylinder, it details the events of the fall of Babylon, what happened that night. And the Bible details in Daniel chapter 5, the details from the inside of the wall. You see, the Bible gives us the inside perspective on the fall of Babylon, whereas the other historical records give us the outside story of what happened when the armies conquered Babylon. It's pretty amazing when you see how all of these stories perfectly fit together in every detail. This prophecy is an incredible prophecy of the Bible. So, when we look now at verse 6, we discover another power rising up. I'll read this one. It says, After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. Sounds like a pretty strange beast, doesn't it? Probably not the one that you would want to have for a pet at home. I don't know. Some people might, but (laughs) (laughs) it has four heads. And so this is a very unusual creature. And it's not, it's not referring to, you know, a literal thing. It's referring to a nation. The symbols are very important. So you have four heads representing four specific divisions of this power. And that's exactly what happened to this particular beast having four heads. Like a leopard, it comes very quick. It has four wings on the back of a fowl denoting speed. And if you look at history and if you look at the Bible, who was the next power to rise up after me to Persia? Anyone here know that? That answer. Who comes up after me to Persia in history?
1: Greece?
0: Yes, Greece. Macedonia, Alexander the Great's kingdom of Greece. And his kingdom moved very stealthily. They moved very speedily. In a matter of 10 short years, they conquered that that superpower of the Medes and the Persians. And so they were able to take them down, Alexander raising up this kingdom from a small kingdom to a very powerful kingdom, basically the superpower of the world. They took power from the Persian empire. This was Alexander the Great. So we have a very powerful story here being told. Now, the details about the four heads refers to what happened after Alexander died because he died young, he was in his 30s. And he didn't have any children who were old enough. There were supposedly some babies that were claimed to be his, but none of those could even take the kingdom. And if you claim that it was your your son, somebody might kill the baby. And I think some of that happened, but Uh, Basically, Alexander had no one to take the throne after he died so young. So he had four generals, Lysimachus, Cassander, Ptolemy, and Seleucus, and they divided up the Greek Empire into four major parts. You have the the Ptolemaic power down in the south in the land of Egypt. You have the Seleucid Empire north of the land of Israel into the area of, of Syria that was anciently Syria, and today is still the land of Syria. And so you have that power right there. And then you have up to the north of the Mediterranean, you had the other powers, Lysimachus and Cassander, who were a bit smaller, but still um, pretty good-sized powers in their day. The, The two that we see playing out the biggest role in some of the future prophecies in the book of Daniel are the Seleucid Empire, north of Israel, and the Ptolemaic Empire, which covered Egypt, down in the south, to the south of Israel. So those are important to keep in mind, but they're basically described here by the divisions of the heads, the four heads. And we have more prophetic information on this when you come to Daniel chapter 8. The Bible actually keeps giving us more details as we go along. Prophecy builds, and all of these nations of prophecy you, you may have noticed, are building upon the vision of Daniel 2, where you have the head of gold, the arms of silver, and then the belly and thighs of bronze, and the legs of iron, and the feet part of iron and part of clay with ten toes. We see that this vision actually parallels the prophecy of Daniel chapter 2, but it gives us additional detail to help clarify everything to us. Now let's take a look at the fourth beast, verse 7. Who can read for us verse 7?
1: After okay. that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was the fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had a large arm, arm teeth. It crashed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot. Whatever was left, it was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns.
0: All right. Thank you very much. So we have this this beast that is dreadful and terrible. It doesn't even look like any other kind of creature that we can name. We've seen already a lion, we've seen a bear, we've seen a leopard. But this one is just ugly. (laughs) The fourth beast is dreadful and terrible. It's strong exceedingly. It has great iron teeth, that's a hint for us. And it devours and breaks in pieces and stamps the residue with his feet and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had how many horns? Ten, horns? 10 horns. Thank you very much. So it had 10 horns. And what you see here is you see some of the metals here that come up from the other nations in the vision of Daniel chapter 2. When you look at Daniel chapter 2, the fourth empire was the legs of iron. And we know from history and from prophecy that that was Rome because the Bible tells us in Daniel 2 that the head of gold in Daniel 2.38 was representing Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom of Babylon. So we already know that from Daniel chapter 2 and you keep moving down. You move through the silver and the bronze and then you move to the iron. Well, the fourth beast here in this vision, it has great iron teeth. That should be a hint about the connection that it has here. And also... You will see as you study Daniel 7 and Daniel 8 that there is the mention of of bronze as well in this power because he takes some of the culture from the Greek Empire. If that's making sense, I hope that's making sense uh, to you. Uh, But he he draws some of the history and the culture and the power and strength from the Greek-speaking people. So, iron teeth of Rome to devour other nations and that's what he was doing, just conquering everybody. The Roman Empire was huge. They were the superpower of their time. They have shaped the world to a very great extent today. Now, the Roman Empire was not to be conquered by another great superpower. The Bible is very clear and very specific from Daniel's prophecy in chapter 2 and Daniel's prophecy here in chapter 7 that the Roman Empire was to be divided or broken up. It would divide up into other parts, just like some of these previous kingdoms also had some divisions. For example, the previous one, the Greek Empire, had some divisions with the four heads. But this Roman Empire was united and powerful for a long time as one empire, and yet prophecy says that it would not end with another superpower conquering it. Instead, it would divide and break apart, and those remnants of the kingdom would be in the world until the day when Jesus comes. We're going to see this more as we look at this prophecy. The Bible tells us about those powers and it explains them when we look at verses 23 and 24. I'm gonna read the explanation there in verse 23 and 24. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces and the 10 horns out of this kingdom are 10 kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings." Now we're gonna look at that power in just a few minutes here. But the Bible is telling us that the fourth superpower, the fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, was going to have 10 horns coming up from its head And those ten horns are representing ten kings, obviously with their kingdoms, just like we've seen here in the other references in this chapter, that you need to have them both together. If you don't have a kingdom, you must not be a king. (laughs) They have to go together. So you have these ten divisions or ten kingdoms that rise up from the Roman power. They have Roman roots, but they take the place of the the United Roman Empire. It becomes a divided Rome, a broken Rome, and some of the strength of the iron from Rome stays there and some of it goes away. It's very weak. Daniel 2 pictured that as a mixture of iron and clay and 10 toes on the feet. Now we have 10 horns here in Daniel chapter 7 and these ten horns come up out of the head of the fourth empire, which was Rome. So, they must have these Roman roots, they must take up the territory and the place of Rome. That's what happens to the nation of Rome, it's divided. The prophecies are very clear about that. So, when we look at history, what happened to Rome? Was it divided? Yes, it was. Especially in the time of Constantine, he moved his capital from Rome, to Constantinople, or Istanbul, to that city, Byzantium, or the Byzantine Empire. You have the the Eastern Greek Empire that essentially takes control over there. Now there was some reuniting of the empire in the days of Constantine, but later it divided up even more with his sons, if you want to get into some of the specifics of history. But it essentially continued on that course to break apart to where they could no longer hold it together. So you have the Eastern Roman Empire in the East, continuing from the city of Constantine for many years, until 1453 AD. So that's a lot of years, isn't it? But over in the West, the Roman Empire completely folded. It completely broke up. But in the city of Rome, there was a power. There was a power there. Throughout the history of Europe, you see that there was Roman elements and Roman power taking place. Even at one point in history, they referred to it as the Holy Roman Empire because the church was also very involved in the activities of Europe. We won't say a lot about that tonight, but just a little bit of the history. Um, This is something to keep in mind. So these are the the powers, basically these European kingdoms that would rise up. Now I'm going to go back on over to uh, verse 7. It mentions the ten horns that it had. We've already learned that those are ten kings that come up out of the fourth power of Rome. And verse 8 says, "...I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. So there's a very, very boastful power described as a little horn that comes up among them. Okay, this is a little kingdom, a little power, but he's a very boastful power. He speaks great things with his mouth, and he has eyes like the eyes of a man. Now the Bible tells us that that the biblical prophets were also known as seers because God would give them visions, God would reveal to their eyes the things about the future. So what's kind of troubling about this particular power is that he has the eyes of a man. He's not directed by God's divine wisdom, but he's directed by human wisdom and, and earthly, even sensual and devilish wisdom. Now, how do we know that? Well, because when we look at the activities of the little horn, they are despicable. He is against God, against God's people, against God's commandments. We're going to see that in the verses here, like verse 25, when we get to that. So, the Bible is telling us that this power, this power is against some very serious things, um, especially against the way of the Lord. So, we have a power that rises up. Now, incidentally, Some people have tried to put a a split or a division into this prophecy and they'll say, well, you know, we're still waiting for those ten horns, those ten nations to come up, but we have to wait for a revived Roman Empire and then it's going to come up. And you're like, wait a second here. None of that is in the prophecy. That's not there. The Bible tells us that that Rome was there and then, then from Rome would come up these kingdoms. So these kingdoms have already come up. Now granted, granted, we're going to see a last day um, initiative with these kingdoms, okay? So they're definitely involved in last day Bible prophecy, no doubt about that. But we have to understand that the beginning of these kingdoms was back in the days of Rome. And when Rome collapsed, these ones came up in its place. God has not left, you know, a 2,000 year gap or 1,500 year gap in His prophecy. From Daniel's time, all the way down to the very end when Jesus comes again, there is an unbroken chain of events, of prophetic events and prophetic kingdoms and powers that would be in the world. God revealed that. So there's no break here in the prophecy. Um, The prophecy is continuous, and these events are all affecting our world throughout these ages, just as God has revealed right to the very end. So it's important to keep that in mind. And we will definitely see these players in a very real way, um, you know, control things in the last days that we're living in right now before Jesus comes. Because Jesus makes war against kingdoms in the last days who want to make war with him. It's important to keep that in mind. That's in Revelation. We'll get into that after a bit. Okay, Daniel 7 and verse 8 tells us about the little horn. So one of the things we need to do tonight is to simply lay out some of the points to understand about the little horn. And what we're going to do is in our next lesson, tonight we'll just, we'll lay out the points, but in our next lesson, we're going to unpack the points even more. We'll unpack them even further. So just laying out the points of identity from the Bible, we see that this little horn is a very important power because he's very boastful. And he's boastful against the Lord and his people. He even persecutes God's people. It's a persecuting power. Led by human wisdom comes up from the head of this beast, the fourth beast, Rome. Clearly, the little horn, the little kingdom, has Roman roots. And it comes up among the ten horns, which represent the kings of Western Europe, those kingdoms that came up. Those kingdoms were, for example, when you look at, when you look at uh, Europe, you have the Franks, which was France. You have the, the Alamanni, which was Germany. You have the Burgundians, which was Switzerland. You have the Anglo-Saxons, which was England. And, uh, you know, there's other ones too. But you have all these powers that came up, these Germanic tribes and nations, European nations, that took the place of Rome. And lo and behold, tonight we're speaking English, which comes from the Anglos. So, around the world, you look at South America and Central America, Spanish and Portuguese are very big, English is very big around the world, French was a big language around the world even still today. There are many places where French is the spoken language. So, these powers that rose up in the place of Rome, they have no doubt dominated our world for the last 2,000 years. They have no doubt shaped the very world that we are living in today. It's important to know that, to understand the interplay of these powers in world dominance and shaping of our world today. Just like prophecy said would happen, that's exactly what happened. So, the ten horns, ten kingdoms, European kingdoms, rise up from Rome with Roman roots, take the place of the Roman Empire, influence the world, and shape it to how it is today. And these European powers, the modern counterparts of them, are still working in our world today and influencing global politics. The United States of America is playing into this. We have roots in the United States of America that go back to these European powers. Again, that's why we're speaking English here tonight. So, America plays a part in this, but we're gonna see that later. But these are essentially the powers that were in Europe that basically were Europe that came up in the place of Rome. So, we would expect the Little Horn power, the Little Kingdom to rise up among the European nations. That's very important to take note of. And we expect them to have Roman influence or Roman roots. All of these nations had some Roman influence or Roman roots. So the the Little Horn or Little Kingdom comes up in that particular way. Now, in this chapter from verses 9 through 14, there is a description of a judgment scene where the ancient of days takes his throne, there's fiery flame all around. Verse 10 says the judgment was set and the books were opened. and then there's the, the little horn is kind of brought into judgment in a way during this time period. And then in verse nine, uh, verse 13. Verse 13 and 14, it says, "...I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven." But here it says, "...and He came to the Ancient of Days," referring to God who's on His throne in heaven. The Son of Man refers to Jesus. So He comes before the Ancient of Days. They brought Him near before Him. Verse 14, "...there was given Him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve Him." His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in His kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. So, the Son of Man, we know is Jesus. He comes before the Ancient of Days. We know this is the Father, God, in heaven on His throne, the Ancient of Days. And the Bible says that dominion was given Him, glory, His kingdom. And all peoples and nations and languages will serve him. And how long will the kingdom of God last? The kingdom of Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's an everlasting dominion. And it will not pass away. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So we're moving in perspective now to the very end. The very end of this world as we know it. To all of these earthly powers, they will be taken down. They will be closed down, and the kingdom of Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever and ever. Isn't that powerful? So this is the hope that we have to look forward to, and we're just trying to unpack some of the pieces. We've looked now at some of these points of the little horn. I would say just a couple more things about the little horn, and we'll be closing up our message. Verse 20 tells us, that uh, he spoke very great things. He had a mouth speaking very great things. And his look was more stout than his fellows. So he's pretty boastful. Some Bibles I think use those words, right? In Daniel 7 verse 20, that the little horn is pretty boastful among his fellows. Verse 21 says, "'I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against him.'" So the little horn kingdom is a persecuting power towards God's people. From the time it rises up and takes power, Throughout a specific time period, and then later again in the very last days of Earth's history, this power comes back and prevails and it kind of plays a role in persecution of God's people at the very end of time. We're going to see that more in Revelation. Verse 22 says, Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. Some Bible versions say judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And then it says, The time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So we have sequence, little horn, judgment scene, which happens in heaven before the throne of God. And then we have in verse 22, the time comes when the saints, the believers in Christ, get to possess his kingdom forever and forever. Now the description continues on in verse 23 and 24, talking about the fourth beast and the 10 horns and the little horn. Verse 25 speaks more directly about the little horn, and it says this, He shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and dividing of a time. We'll look at the prophetic period mentioned there, in our future lesson to get some some of the details. But it's described as a time times and half a time. It's described also as 42 months, prophetic months. It's described also as 1260 days. A biblical month is 30 days long. If you multiply 42 months by 30 days, you get 1260. Is this making sense? I know it's a lot of details um, at the end of the day, but uh, so we have anyway these periods. We're gonna unpack that more in our next lesson Um, but essentially it has a specific time period in which it reigns and the Bible tells us here that he he attacks speaks against God against the people of God persecutes the Saints makes war against them verse 21 and 25 tell us that and then it says that he thinks to change times and laws in no way are these men's laws because every nation changes man's laws that's not a big deal but this power changes God's, or thinks to change, God's laws. Now, who would try to change God's laws? First of all, what kind of a character would do that? The devil, the devil, right? The devil, exactly. He would think to change, try to change God's laws. Look at the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He said, oh, you can eat the fruit, do whatever you want. That's Satan, how he works. But God doesn't change his ways and his commands. And so verse 25 describes the activities of the little horn. Verse 26 tells us again about the judgment sitting or taking place there in heaven before the throne. Verse 27 tells us then again about the kingdom. So that sequence is repeated three times in this chapter. Little horns reign, then the judgment in heaven before God's throne where the books are opened. That's described in verses nine and 10 in more detail. And then it tells us in verse 27 about the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high so who wins does the little horn win or does god win god wins and who wins god's people the saints or the little horn and satan god's people right because god wins god delivers his people god's people get to reign forever even though they're persecuted for a time in this world the bible tells us that it shall be given to the people of saints of the most high whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him so in the end the question is who do we worship who do we serve who do we obey Will we obey the kingdoms of the world and the little horn? Or will we obey God and His commandments? Will we obey God and be a part of His eternal kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Or will we follow this antichrist system and all the wickedness and corruption of the world and thinking to change God's times and laws? One thing I hope is for sure, our thinking needs to be very clear about God's commandments and God's laws, right? If it's not clear, we're in trouble. Because the enemy will get us on that. He will get us. We need to have a clear understanding and remember that the Lord is coming soon and we want to be a part of His kingdom. We want to obey Him because we love Him. Amen? Amen. We want to obey the Lord. So, so let's pray with that. Remember to obey and worship our Creator. As Revelation's three angels call us to do, worship the Creator and keep His commandments. Have the faith of Jesus. The saints remember in Revelation, they keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Let's pray for that tonight as we close, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your holy word that we were able to study tonight. Thank you for Jesus and for his eternal kingdom. Lord, we want to follow you in love and keep your commandments. In heaven, we will all obey you. And on earth, you have called us the saints, the believers, to obey your voice out of love for you. Lord, we don't want to be mixed up with the corrupted powers of this world, with Satan's influence and wickedness in this world. We want to follow you and keep your commandments because we love you. So Lord, we want to prepare for your kingdom. Tonight, we want to give you our hearts, praying that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit and guide us in your way of righteousness, that we will be your people who serve you, who obey you, who respect your authority, your dominion, your kingdom that lasts forever. Lord, please guide us in this and fill us with your Spirit, Lord, and bring us together again so that we can continue our study to understand better this prophecy and the little horn and the references that, that also tie into the book of Revelation as we look at this more in our next lesson. So we thank you for helping this, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.